Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Big Nose podcast. This week on the show I have a very special guest joining me to chat all things hospitality in these COVID times. Fernanda Machado, aka The Girl in Hospitality, as you'll find her on Instagram, will feature as my special guest on this week's podcast. So stay tuned for all those insights that she offers a little later on. Returning to the week that was, there was only one thing that was ever going to dominate the headlines, outside of a Trump assassination or a COVID-19 cure. It was, of course, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath's budget for 2021. Now, in terms of the budget, it was a very expansive budget. A budget that offered lots and lots of cash to businesses, people, everyone. I think what I heard in the news headlines was it was the biggest spending budget ever in the history of the state. And you would think, going into what we would all accept to be a time of high uncertainty, a time when we're looking already at a downturn in the economy that we would be look at probably saving money. Um, but, you know, when money is so cheap at the moment and considering that it's a case of will they press the delete button when all these bills are racked up? Because it's not just a case that Ireland are racking up these bills. The whole of the European Union are making up money and they're just pouring it out there to sustain business through a time where we don't know when the end is in sight. So... Pascal Donoghue came out with me, Michael McGrath, and they stood there with their folders sprung and big smiley faces on the steps of the Department of Finance and they were posing for cameras. But I think getting down into the nitty gritty of what was in that budget for a lot of people, I think there was probably two large takeaways from it. Uh, the the green tinge on on the budget also was obvious and 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 that kind of made itself aware in in the carbon tax hikes um motorists immediately from midnight when the when the budget came in would see an increase in the cost of diesel petrol across the board so there was quite a lot of people going up and queuing for petrol on, on the on Tuesday i think it was the budget they also increased the tax, uh, so the the carbon tax on household fuel, but that won't come in till May first next year. Um, so it was kind of we'll get through this winter and see how it lies. But I think going forward, we're going to be be dealing with tax uh, tax hikes on all carbon stuff, which is right, I suppose, in a sense. You know, you expect some sort of green tinge on on a budget when the the Greens are in, in power with the two larger parties, but. Um, to offset this as well, they, they, there was an increase uh, equally in the, the fuel allowance. I think it increased by about €3.50 to around about €28 Euro a week. But um, there was mixed opinion, I think, from listening to a lot of the Vox Pops that were carried out for radio stations and news stations across the week. People were accepting that something has to be done about the environment and, and you know how we tackle and we, how we consume um, fossil fuels and, and energy and as, as a wider thing. But there was also people saying, is this the right time? When a lot of people are unemployed, there's 15% of the working population out of work. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Do we need to have an impact on a lot of the people who are using their own transport now to get in and out of work because we're being incentivized not to travel on public transport? A lot of those people who are going to work are frontline workers. 
there, why are they being immediately impacted by such tax hikes? Um, but overall, I think it was an acceptance that the government had to do something in terms of reaching its targets, in terms of what's laid out, in terms of law that they need to achieve. And, and the tar carbon tax hike was something that was always going to come, whether it was going to come now or come in a couple of years' time. It was something that we have to have to, have to accept that's going to be there. And it's going to get worse as the, next year, as the years go by and it's going to get higher. Hopefully they ring fence the money that they get from this to put into good energy um energy pro programs that will make fuel cheaper and make it more accept accessible to the wider market because I know from my own experience that if you want to go retrofit in your house or you want to go and buy a brand new car the cost of these cars are huge and if they were subsidized to a larger extent by the government it would make them more attainable to a lot of more people. So that was kind of the, the, the one of the main two takeaways I had from the budget. I think another large thing that was broadly welcomed from a lot of people in, in the hospitality and tourism sector was the, the VAT reduction again. I know there was a lot of kick up of fuss about it when it came back in 2000 and I think it, was, it came back in 2019. Um, it went from 9% to back up to 13.5%. So now there is... 50% saving more or less you know uh, in terms of the tax rate it's going down by four and a half percent in real terms and um, what I hope this will do is in terms of the medium to long term it will incentivize people to stay at home shop locally in terms of staying in your county but also I hope that the the industry takes the the reduction in cost in terms of the VAT and not pass that on to um us as a customer you know you don't want to be going into um try and support local businesses bnbs hotels or whatever hospitality section you know and seeing the prices haven't come down now i appreciate that there's been a huge loss in income over the last number of months but you need to look up look at a plan for 2021 how are you going to price yourself what is likely to be your your target market what's it likely to be your footfall and how are you best going to um, price the largest amount of people to be able to come in your door and get them to spend the money that hopefully will be there? Um, so yeah, that was a, a large takeaway as well for the tourism and, uh, and hospitality sector, the reduction. What I would say is I hope that stays there long term. I hope it's not just a quick fix and a nod to the hospitality and tourism sector that here we go for the next 18 months, you'll have a 9% rate, but you'll actually go back up then further and it do, hopefully it won't go above 13.5% if they do increase it I think it's a, a rate that is fair but I think also that you know businesses have to reflect that in their prices there was as I said at the start there was a lot of money given away in this budget there was 10 billion 10 billion set aside for capital programs such as roads rail bus and obviously the metro north was mentioned in that as well whether we'll see these come to fruition who knows if the money is there the metro north would be a great incentive it will bring a lot of uh, jobs. It will create a lot of uh, infrastructure for Dublin. And in a time where a lot of the government needs to be spending money so that it maintains maintains the economy, this ten billion is very much welcome. I know that they're investing again the green the green tinge. They're investing in in more electrical um, electrical rail carriages and what have you. And there's a there's a fund set aside for the improvement of the dart. So. From a Dublin-centric point of view, it was very positive in terms of that. Um, there was going to be a large recruitment drive um, in in line with this budget. There's an extra 600-plus guards going to be recruited. 
there's a the guards got well, very got very uh, did very well out of this. They, they they have a budget now of nearly eight million to spend on new vehicles. I know that we were releasing a lot of uh, additional vehicles from rented car companies uh, in the last seven months, and now they're going to go out and look at, at sourcing their own vehicles. Three hundred new primary uh, teacher roles to be created, and a thousand plus uh, SNA roles, which is you know. Is is it going to be mean that when we do come out of lockdown that uh, coppers queues may be a bit longer than they were previously? There's a lot of guards coming on board. There's a lot of teachers coming on board. And where do they meet? They met in coppers. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 got it's it's looking to there. We're looking to the future. We're looking trying to stay positive. So yeah, there's a lot of investment in public sector jobs. There will be um, just looking back uh, in terms of the the special guest I have last week, Tom Gavin and and the live entertainment sector, they got fifty million of a support fund from this and they're splashing the cash to government here, there and everywhere. And it's a real great welcome, you know, this will this will really help sustain the industry in the short term. But like when you break it down, I think per person working working in the industry, it doesn't work out as that much, but it's something that is definitely welcome. I seen that they extended the tax break uh, for uh, you know trying to get companies into ireland in terms of creating jobs and, and recording stuff here like we saw what happened in with star wars going to skellig michael that's been extended to 2023 so that's an extra two years on the tax relief to um to bring people into this country so i think reading through the budget you know and reflecting on the budget you know no one's going to come out a millionaire no one's going to come out with a huge amount of money extra but there's a lot of extra cash out there in fairness to Pascal and to Michael, they came on board, they came out and they answered a lot of questions. I know there was a very funny skit on Claire Bourne, not skit, a very funny segment on Claire Bourne about a guy in a Toyota Corolla car from 1999 and he made some very valid points about the, you know, the tax on the cars and the tax on the petrol for the cars and, you know, the ability not to actually get funds together to buy go out and buy a brand new car um, and it was very interesting you know he made some very valid points but my opinion is that this budget is something that is a stopgap to uh, hopefully see us through the next 12 months see how we are in 12 months time see what our finances are like see what the world and the global finances are like because it is my opinion that as part of the European Union Every European country at the moment is splashing the cash. Money that actually doesn't exist in real terms. And I hope, and it is my opinion, that the central bank will come back at some stage when this is all over and assess the finances of a country. And basically, as time goes by and as the economy recovers and as growth develops, that, you know, this money that we owe, in inverted commas, um, gets whittled down in terms of being deleted it's just remember it's just a financial accounting exercise realistically and um, we will always be in debt as a country it's just what level of debt we actually hold on to but looking at the budget very fairly positive you know a lot of cash but not a lot of detail we'll see how it comes over the next six months in terms of its implementation uh, and see what happens from there now going from well, one good news story in terms of the budget, I suppose. And as if 2020 wasn't bad enough, reports began to surface, if you, if you pardon the pun, of the lack of fungi activity in Dingle Harbour. Now, for those who don't know fungi or don't know the legend, I don't know if I'm offending people by saying the legend of fungi, 
Um, Fungi is a bottlenose dolphin that resides in Dingle Harbour or in and around the Dingle Harbour area. And first was seen back in the early 80s down by down in Dingle by fishermen. I think it was in the maybe 83, 84. And he's a regular bottlenose dolphin. And in advance of doing this podcast, I knew a little bit about fungi, but I didn't know a huge amount about dolphins. So fungi is, as I said, a bottlenose dolphin, a very common kind of dolphin you'll see. Um, the lifespan of, of of a bottlenose dolphin, you know, this is this is you know, I'm no I'm no David Attenborough, okay, but from my research and a little bit of light reading, on the lifespan of a bottlenose dolphin, they generally live between eight and seventeen years in the wild. Now, doing the calculations, um, eight to seventeen years would say that you know fungi is quite an old dolphin, as dolphins go. Uh, I think there is one record of a dolphin being uh, known to have survived 67 years. So Fungi is looking down that record as at the moment, you know. Um, but anyway, getting back to the stories, basically, as a lot of stories break these days, uh, the Fungi Forever fan, a Facebook page broke that they had lost their best friend and fishermen had not seen Fungi in two days. Now, I think this was towards the start of the week, and um you know reports came in i think from monday that fungi hadn't been in two days and it was quite unusual according to local local anecdotes that we were getting that fungi is generally seen every day if not a few times a day he comes in he's around for about five or six hours and, and fungi is renowned for being a very social butterfly or dolphin as as, as he is um and he hadn't been seen for two days, which is quite unusual. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people came on, you know, that the harbour master was in, different fishermen were commenting on the fact that it was very unusual for him to go missing for this period of time. Um, some people had said that he had done it previously, he had gone away for two or three days. And, you know, it had then surfaced, I think on Wednesday, that he had been spotted in Dingle Harbour. Now, you know we obviously are on lockdown generally in terms of a nation and and dingle will be very i don't know if a lot of, a lot of the listeners will notice but dingle is a is a is a small t- town in, in west Kerry, cork i should know that uh south of ireland <laughs> i'm joking uh, is a very is a small town and it's a coastal town and it's it's a very beautiful town uh, i've been to it myself and um it is a very tourist town and obviously with no tourists being around as in uh international tourists there is a le- a lack of um um people that he can bump into or, or or who are going out to see him on the on the on the any number of boat trips you can get out to, to see where where he, where he lives and where he's active and and this brings a lot of money into the town of Dingle and and the fact that they haven't been there people were saying that he was feeling quite lonely and he was going off and doing unusual things and and then he came back and then i think on wednesday or thursday he was spotted again but on friday it was then muted again that fungi had gone missing again and then maybe maybe kind of how would you best put this uh, controversially people were suggesting well maybe fungi isn't just the one dolphin maybe he's a number of dolphins and you know, 
I, in in my perspective, looking at the facts as they lie, and from what I've read up on bottlenose dolphins, yes, they live between the ages of eight and eight and seventeen, and yes, there has been a recorded age of sixty-seven and one. But maybe uh, fungi is to is to dingle what the Loch Ness monster is to Scotland. You know, it's a case of it's a it's a it's a great marketing tool to attract people to the town and i am totally all for this i think the loch ness monster the the fact that it's alive or existent in a in a lake in, in scotland is something that is, is is a fairy tale story and and if it brings people to the country or the area and it gets them spending money and it, and it gets the economy moving and it gives people in jobs there's nothing wrong with it it's the same what walt disney does in all of his um theme parks around the world it's the same idea it's creating something an attraction and a sense of mystery around it and the fact that fungi has gone missing and the fact that it makes national headlines is a is a testament to how well held fungi as as an idea is in the in the dingle psyche and 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 the national psyche because it it was on national airwaves so i think i hope that uh, fungi remains uh, alive and well and i hope that People are getting out to see them as best they can and, and the fishermen going out to work are giving them a nod and, and keeping an eye on them because whether it's one dolphin, two dolphins or half a dozen dolphins, fungi as an entity to, uh, to dingle is as important as uh, the Loch Ness Monster is to Scotland. It, it drives people's awareness of the area, it's an affiliation and it's something that is very much keeping people in jobs, keeping an industry going and it's a sense of attraction so... I hope Fungi is alive. Uh, I hope he is well, and I hope to get down to see him when all these lockdowns and restrictions are lifted. Now, I suppose from Fungi to the next topic, I suppose, um, and the last topic I'll mention before we go and look at the conversation I had with the girl in hospitality. Um, the Big Nose podcast wouldn't be what it is if it didn't mention Nefit and the COVID-19 restrictions. This week will be no different. With Michal Martin away, I suppose Nefit will play. And in a letter to the government on Friday, I believe, uh, they once again suggested to the government that we were to move on a national basis to level five. It's suggested in the letter. It stated in the letter that the country, due to the recent increases in everything, and, and uh, in terms of cases and uh, admissions to hospital and ICU admissions, that we move to a level five lockdown for six weeks, uh, in an effort to suppress and flatten the curve. Now, I think this is what we're missing. This analogy we got all behind the phrase "flatten the curve" back in March and April, and we, as a nation, came together. And we basically did what we were told, and it worked. Um, the T shock was in Brussels on Friday, and this letter was written on Thursday. I think it leaked out Thursday night and was uh, submitted to the government on Friday. Now, at the time of this recording on a Sunday, the government um, did meet. Uh, sorry, senior cabinet ministers meet met yesterday, um, and in attendance at that meeting was. The CMO, Dr. Tony Hula, and there was Ronan Glynn, Paul Reid, and then you had some senior members of the cabinet. You had obviously the T shock was back then from Brussels. 
uh, Michal Martin, you had the uh, Tanishta, Leo Varadkar, and I think Pascal Donahue and me, um, Michael McGrath were also in attendance. There was a media frenzy outside um, Leinster House on Saturday. I think the meeting was scheduled for three o'clock. Everybody was arriving in cars. Um, some were arriving on bicycles. Um, Eamon Ryan, of course. And um, I think a couple of them walked because it was, it was held in the city centre. I think the meeting went on for two and a half hours. Uh, they were briefed and all what was going on. Obviously, um, Tony Houlihan was given a cross the position in terms of Neffet. Paul Reid was re representing the hospitals and in terms of how they're leaning and obviously the government were listening. From that meeting, there was no, um, there was a holding statement released to the to the press, and obviously that made all the national headlines. But there was no leadership shown. There was a lack of um, government leadership. There was a lack of appearance of the Taoiseach or the Tanishta or any minister or anybody who was supposed to be leading this um, response. And the fact that the letter was communicated on Thursday evening was handed in on Friday morning. I appreciate the Tanishta, uh, Taoiseach was away on Thursday, but there's no reason. The Taoiseach was away in America when he addressed the nation, if you remember correctly. The cabinet probably could have met today, yesterday and Saturday. They could have made uh, drawn up um, a plan of action within the living with COVID guidelines that we already have, and you know we could have known where we sat on Saturday evening rather than going in now, as it looks and as it's been muted that the cabinet will meet on Monday. Then any um, agreements will be fleshed out. We will probably then have an announcement Monday or Tuesday. And then what we will see is a movement to what they're calling a level floor plus, um, which is bizarre because we were going to live with these levels. And now I know Dublin has been living with 3.5. We currently have Donegal, Cavan and Monaghan on level four. But it's the lack of leadership. It's the lack of communication, which is really frustrating because without frustration, with, sorry, without communication or effective communication, hysteria gossip and f uh, fake news fills the void now one thing that i will credit uh, leo varadkar with is that he was a good and effective communicator when he needed to be in the previous lockdown my problem here is that the leadership from each party is going out after these meetings and briefing their own parties in terms of what has been communicated to them from nefit and other stakeholders no, and then they have to communicate this with their party. The party have to then have their own internal conversations, come up with a position, make sure that everybody supports that position, and then when they're asked on the position, how they communicate it effectively. This is too slow in terms of a response to a pandemic and a situation that is, you know, time, 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 very, very much based around time and response in time. We need to have clear leadership or even a and a communication on how the leadership is about going about um, communicating this. And this is not what's happening. And that's my problem. And that's, you know, when I nosed into this and got into the detail, that's the issue. A letter that was issued on Friday will not be responded to on a Monday afternoon. This is not a Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 uh, pandemic that we're going through. You can't put an out of office on Friday or Thursday afternoon when you're leaving the country to go to Brussels and come back on... Uh, uh, 
come back into the office on Monday and then meet your colleagues and say, all right, this is what I've heard over the weekend. This is what I've been doing. Now, I appreciate there's a lot of cogs in this wheel and I appreciate that, you know, there has to be a balance between the economy, between the National Health Service, between other stakeholders and we have to weigh them up and we can't go back into a full down lockdown without thinking of the ramifications and we might need to get our ducks in a row and I appreciate that. But at the same time, there should be leadership. There should be communication to the people. Without that, we have been going over the whole weekend in a negative negative position where we pretty much know what's coming. I've spoken to people in the streets. I've spoken to people in the shops. I, I know what they're thinking. They're saying this is inevitable. We're going to level five. If we don't do it now, we'll do it in a week's time. What will we lose? What will we, what will we lose? And it's a case of it's not a case of saving Christmas. It's not a case of saving Halloween. It's not a case of any of this. It's a case of doing what is right in terms of the country on a balanced level. Now, at this stage, we haven't been active enough in terms of our own personal responsibility as people. There are still too many people congregating. There are too many people getting together in houses. And there's too many people flaunting the rules. This needs to stop. We need to take personal responsibility. We need to reduce the amount of people that we're in contact with on a social level. Whatever about going to the shops and going to work, these all need to be done. But what we need to do is not have people over to our houses not go out for, and meet people for dinner, not go out and meet people for coffee. Because that's just how it spreads. People are the spreaders. And in terms of the government, they need to lead by example. They need to have a plan of communications. Whether it's Michal Martin, whether it's Pascal Dunhu, whether it's Leo Varadkar. Someone needs to come out when we know that the effort is meeting the government and we need to know what they're saying. We need to know what the plan of action is. They need to understand. Even if it's just a holding statement. Someone needs to be front and centre. And not hiding behind a statement. A statement is like sending an email. When you know you need to make a phone call. And that's what we need. Especially now coming into the winter time. When it's dark. It's dreary. And people aren't in good spirits as a nation. We never are in good spirits as a nation. We look forward to Christmas. But this is going to be taken away from us. So as a nation, we need leadership, we need communication, we need to understand where we're going. And that's what made the headlines this week. As ever, COVID-19 restrictions, Neffet and Level 5. With this in mind, and Level 5 in mind, I want to reintroduce, as I said at the start of this podcast, my very special guest, uh, the girl in hospitality. Her name is Fernanda. And earlier we spoke about restrictions in the hospitality sector how the last seven months have affected the hospitality industry and what the hospitality industry might look like going into the future i hope you enjoy the podcast and listen in and go and follow fernanda the girl in hospitality on instagram today i am joined by fernanda known to me as the girl in hospitality originally how are you fernanda Hi, Pierce. Thank you so much for having me today. Really, really excited and really was looking forward to this talk with you. Thank I, you so much. No, I appreciate you giving over your time. I know you're busy. You're, you're working away in the hospitality background. Really, I came across you in terms of Instagram. I came across how you were presenting information regards COVID, doing reviews of different hospitality um, sites that you had visited. And I, I just thought the way you presented everything was wonderful. And as a graduate of hospitality myself, I thought you were doing great work and promoting what people were doing well. So 
maybe it's a an opportunity for you just to kind of give your background in terms of your own hospitality experience where you've come from and and what you've done in in the, in the last little while and where you've got to now yeah so i actually came to ireland i'm from brazil originally and i came to ireland uh five years and a half ago so for two years i was as a student so working part-time um so at that at the moment uh the only job i was able to get was a part-time job so the first opportunity that i had was to work as a waitress in a four-star hotel in dublin city center and uh so then i was there for pretty much those two years uh so i started as a floor staff learning how to actually carry a tray and uh, slowly progressed (laughs) dropping Uh, stuff (laughs) then you learn how to do a balance yeah (laughs) Yes, on gas all the way, so it was a, a great learning. Um, but then um, I started actually getting really interested by um, the bar side and like cocktails and drinks and beers and whiskeys and all of that. So uh, I started slowly developing a passion for it. Yeah. Um, my boss at the time uh, realized that, and he was actually started putting me more and more behind the bar and I started loving it. So I went uh, I went back to Brazil, got my uh, European citizenship, came back to Ireland to then stay for good. Yeah. And then when I came back, I was then, I, I started working in another four-star hotel uh, in city centre and then started as a bartender already. And then I developed myself from a bartender, senior to duty manager, and then to meetings and events assistant manager and then later as a bar and restaurant manager so it was great all this progression and actually be able to go back to the initial department as a manager so it was so much learning and growth and And a lot of hard work i'd say as well sounds like uh... oh yeah long hours and shifts and late shifts and Oh my God, you, you know yeah. all of that. Finishing sure. at two o'clock in the morning, um, then coming back to work for eight oh, o'clock yeah. in the morning. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a yes, real, it's a real commitment. Weddings as well. So they were like weddings finishing at <laughs> one thirty, and then cleaning everything and resetting for the next day for another wedding. So like, but look, I learned so much and I'm just so um, grateful for that experience and then for the past eight months I've been working there and then I moved to sales and marketing department because I have a background in marketing and communication so in Brazil I worked for five years for a multinational company an IT company in Brazil with marketing I have my degree in journalism I got my postgraduate diploma here in uh, digital marketing so it's pretty much like all these steps to get where I am today but for sure having this perspective from operations it makes so much difference in my daily work nowadays especially like when inquiries and uh, actually helping from my side whatever i need to support yeah the operations I, and, team. I, and i think in terms of bringing down in how i came across you in terms of instagram and, and the girl in hospitality i think it's uh you brought the best of your your education and background in terms of the journalism and marketing side and then promoting and uh, you presenting in such a, a clear and a nice way the, the the venues that you were in so where did this idea for the girl in hospitality come from so it came it's actually during 
um, I think it was maybe for two months at home because, of course, the hotel closed and I was laid off with all the rest of the staff. Um, and I was at home and I was actually, uh, I remember that it was on the week that uh, the hotels could reopen. Uh, so it was the 19th, uh, 29th of June. Um, and I was like, okay, but I'm so afraid of actually going out because I don't know how the, the hotels or restaurants or bars are actually uh, following the guidelines. So I was yeah. like, but I need to go there and see for myself. And I couldn't find any sort of like content on like um, on Instagram or Facebook or whatever about that. And like, look, I actually been there. They're following all the guidelines because it was everything so uncertain yeah. for the businesses as well how to behave how to deal with the guests how to do with all these new clean lists standards <laughs> and everything that i'm like okay i need to go there and check for myself and then why when i went there and said oh you know what it, it's actually it's been actually great so i think i i felt that need to share that yeah and communicate it yeah and i think yes i think for me it, as a as a viewer of your content and I was in the same boat. I I was, you know, wasn't sure what the standard operating procedures were in terms of different places mm-hmm. and everybody's interpretation, I think, of the guidelines that were given out were, you know, kind of in a grey area. But I think we, with the way you explained it, especially in the hospitality and hotel kind of way, was that, you know, this is what's happening. This is what it means. This is how people are, yeah. you know, going about it, and this is how they're making it safe for us. And then it's easier for people to understand it and the fact that you couldn't really see anything on Instagram and all of us use Instagram to find out stuff that the way you communicated it I, I think it was um, quite clear quite direct and all credit to you for doing that it was it was quite uh, brilliant I, I try to be I try to look for both sides so as a customer going there wants to feel safe but yeah. also as a business and if a business owner is like, I actually want to know what the other people are doing because they might have a, a nice idea that I can implement in my business and make whatever operations better and work smoother, you know? So um, that's why I started the Girl Hospitality and um, I'm, I'm just loving it. Yeah. I'm just loving it. Of course, no. going out, having a drink and a nice bite is now being really bad as well so no it has its perks i suppose you might as well you know go and enjoy yeah. yourself and have a reason to go out oh it's it's it's, it's research you know totally totally definitely research exactly. all, the, all the time all, all for their work absolutely oh, of course. <laughs> I, su- I suppose looking at the situation we are now in in terms of we're seven months into the global pandemic in ireland and this time of the year hotels restaurants would be planning for maybe the christmas period or or getting the ball rolling on the christmas period i suppose in terms of yourself and and the company you're working with what would traditionally this time of the year mean for for you and for the industry i suppose we are planning in in the hotel that i work uh we are planning already all the christmas uh packages and everything but it's just so uncertain we don't know what's going to happen so we kind of like plan and i think it's everybody on the same boat whoever is still open uh we are trying to get our business there now trying to plan something for the end of the year for our guests but we don't know if we're going to be open yeah and this is the, yeah this is the problem because traditionally this time of the year you would have a lot of award ceremonies in hotels uh, a lot of oh, large yeah. companies would be planning you know their corporate nights and there'd be you know a lot of wine a lot of nice food a lot of get together so all that business is gone from the hospitality sector i suppose yeah 
in Dublin you'd have yeah. people coming in from other cities for city breaks and we'd be going over to city mm-hmm. breaks and then you'd have a traditionally the Christmas party so as you said this time of the year you'd normally be getting your two weeks annual leave you'd be going off taking a break and trying to G yourself up for um, the next three months of, of hard work and late nights I suppose oh yeah, yeah. that would be full on November December January all the Christmas parties and then in January and February then would be hotels and restaurants and bars Christmas parties because it's when then we don't get busy yeah. and then we get have, then we host there dinners and parties and celebrations so it's it is good yeah and that normally brings three, you yeah later. it brings you then into kind of your patrick's day season and then the start of the season all over again with the american tourists coming in and and it all starts over yeah. again so yeah normally this time of the year i think hospitality would be looking after the christmas parties and then looking after each other i suppose with lockdown and, and with all the uncertainty i suppose it's it's all up in the air and if level five comes in it's shut down again i suppose if you look back on the last seven months, and I know you were on layoff for a period of time, but in terms of the industry and hospitality industry, what do you think some of the biggest challenges have been uh, for the industry? Oh, for the industry, for sure, it's just keeping the doors open. Uh, it it's not sustainable at all. I'm I know so many hotels that it had to close the doors because. You need to have a limit. There's a already reduced capacity, so we're already working on a reduced capacity. And then now, um, just can serve residents, for example. So people are just so afraid of booking, uh, and especially being in Dublin, that for so many weeks in a row, Dublin was put on a spotlight of being the worst center, the most dangerous center in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's been such a big challenge for to actually say, no, look, we have the standards in place, we have the guidelines, we have, we're following the protocols, we're, we have all these health and safety uh, standards here in-house, all our staff members are wearing face masks, all we have hand sanitizer in the whole hotel, like all these small things, and we, of course, need to keep proving ourselves to the, the customers for them to think and consider to book to stay with us but at the same time they're all those families they have the people in their families that is maybe part of group of risk and they don't want to you know uh, take a risk no and honestly no one wants to bring it home it, to their family you know, yes it's just so many factors um that is working against the hospitality industry at the moment and going to level four for sure is not gonna help at all and of course, th- there is this. Um, I've been seeing so many staycation deals going yeah. on at the moment. But of course, the staycation they're gonna happen on the weekends. So during the week, there's like ten rooms max on the hotels, yeah. and then it gets really busy on the weekend. But then you can't hire staff members just to work on the weekends. You need to have them back because it's not fair with them because they need to then reapply for the COVID. Um, support from the government and so we work I believe everybody who is still opened is working a really 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 limited staff yes. and I and I think and I think from um, a government point of view and maybe a lobby, lobbying group point of view I don't think they really understand in terms of it's great to have brought out this um, 
tax rebate in terms of giving you money back if you spend in oh, the hospitality sector. But it, it came it, well, it wasn't communicated as clearly as it should have been. No. It wasn't as simple as it needed to be. It actually came across as a lot of hard work to get a very little amount back. And I think in terms yeah. of trying to drive sales and trying to drive, you know, levels of staycations in a period when, you know, if people were working, generally they'd be working Monday to Friday and they would be off the weekend. There was an opportunity there for people who are on layoff who were still getting the COVID money, still had a little bit of savings and wanted to get away that they could have, uh, you know, enhanced maybe the, 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 the payback and made it a little bit simpler if you were going on a midweek break. So that way, you know, the business was kind of sustained during the weekdays and also had their, you know, business towards the end of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of this scheme is like, it's really good yeah. and of course it's coming with uh, on on the flow of the one that's just finished in the UK uh, that's pretty much the same idea um, however I think here it's exactly, exactly what you said people are going on these vacations they are going with their family and with their kids and it's, so they're like the cost of the room the cost of the food the cost of, and then the drink like you can't of course, you can't purchase alcoholic beverage without food, yeah. and uh, which is understandable. Um, and then also in this scheme, you cannot uh, claim ta- any tax back, any money back. Yeah. Alcohol- um, so there's just all of those little things that I think is just more trouble for the c- customer. Yeah, they want it there. easy. Like, okay, yeah, no, it should be simpler looking towards the future maybe hopefully using our crystal ball and seeing the end of this COVID restriction how do you think the pandemic will affect the future of hospitality because our industry is very much about customer focused front and center engagement with customers being very hospitable being friendly sometimes getting quite close to the guests and having a laugh a joke and trying to be quite intimate with them how do you think what we've learned, how we've developed, how we've adapted, I suppose, in the last seven months will affect the future of the hospitality industry. Uh, first, the, the, the main beginning was exactly that, like what you said about the customer service within the hospitality industry was so much about you spending a little bit of time and attention, giving a little bit of extra attention to a guest and like really empathizing with an, like with an issue they're going through, like with a complaint or something that you could actually use of that proximity yeah. with the guest uh, to, to and even show your actual face yeah. to them and being smile friendly and welcoming. And in the beginning, uh, it's of all of that, you couldn't see the staff member's face. Yeah. So it was already so such a hostile situation of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this staff member is being nice to me, if they're being like a little bit grumpy or something. So we had to overcome that. Yeah. For, so use from other kind of tools and show the guests that no, we're actually here. We're going to keep looking after you as we were before. And we're doing our absolute best to make your experience as great and amazing as it was before COVID. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a little bit of the little touches now, the little bit of like, um, 
little note in the, their bedrooms, a little chocolate, a little um, little complimentary treat for them, it, just to show that we care. Yeah. You know, they're we're they're not there just as a number and just getting revenue. Yeah, exactly. To, I think it's uh, it's about adapting to. Um, a different way of communicating to our guests i suppose yeah. in, in our hospitality that uh, we're still here while we it might feel like you're coming into a doctor's waiting room when you're checking in yeah we are still here we're still yeah. happy to see you um yeah. and i think going forward i think we will i we think going forward we will all have hand sanitizers everywhere still we will still probably oh, yeah i think yeah i think for there's so many things we had to learn that it's going to be so difficult for just kind of like, oh yeah, the COVID's gone now. We don't need to, like, I don't think it's going to be that at all because people will get used to feeling that safe staying yeah. in a hotel. So even, uh, or you stay in a hotel or stay, going to a restaurant or seeing like everything deeply sanitized, like transports and like going in a, a, a plane, a uh, you know, go to somewhere else, uh, to another country, and it, you enter in the pl places, and in planes, and in cars, um, and in restaurants and bars, and you feel safe to be there, and you know that it was cleaned, you know it was sanitized, and you know that it's okay to be here. I think that feeling is not going to go away that no, quick. No, it's going to be a long time. And uh, so, yeah, for sure, that's gonna, it's gonna be a legacy now. It's gonna be absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, for many many more months to come until like we actually start to relax again and get a vaccine but it will take a while. Yeah. yeah yeah i suppose that's kind of what we are in terms of our industry and in terms of hospitality and dining and and hotel stays and travel i suppose on a personal level um you know outside of hospitality as a person dealing with this i know for myself it's been it's been a difficult time to adapt to the isolation from my friends and, and my wider family and it's been hard but I've learned stuff about myself and I've kind of I've learned to queue I was never able to queue for anything <laughs> now I can kind of just about uh, spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes in a queue so I've learned the patience side of things but in terms of yourself have you learned anything about yourself that you said oh maybe I wouldn't have learned that if we hadn't been in this situation oh look uh one thing that for sure I'm taking that to the rest of my life is that it shouldn't worry and waste our energy with things that we cannot control because there are things outside of our power so it'll all like we go into level four we go into level five we don't go to lockdown it is above it, it, it it's beyond us yeah. or in our power so if it has we're going to do our part as citizens as business owners of following the guidelines and doing our absolute best to follow everything take care of our guests that's it that's what we can do but really stress about it and lose of course look not undermining like any responsibilities from business owners and that they have the uh, uh, responsibility with other people's job that i can't even imagine how hard it was for all of them to lay off and up and then like make redundant all those jobs and these people that have, was working in the hospitality for so long and had to had to go through that i can't imagine how hard it was for them um 
but in the same time if if it's needed to it is the business it is if the business had to close how you're going to keep paying staff members if you're not getting money at all and yeah business had to actually so um but all about this news and i've been seeing so many people just oh my god i've been looking at the news every time oh my god i'm accessing the the, the you know updating the page uh, yeah the the news that you see now it's going to be there in like 10 minutes so kind of like just yeah. do not overstress that it, it, it will happen I, I, what needs to happen i think you know? that yeah i think that's an important point like it, it's not going away anytime soon there's no point in refreshing what you're seeing on your news feeds there's no point in buying the newspaper there's no new news in the newspaper maybe um you know look yeah. at the news once a day and that's all you probably need to do um Ex but yeah i think that's i think that's an important thing don't stress about stuff that you can't control i think uh you really yeah. hit the nail on the head and and, and for myself i think being able to queue for 10 minutes in the shops is is a, is a really really good feat for me on a personal level um fernando i think that's everything for myself i think that's been a really good insight into yourself the girl in hospitality which is available on instagram i would recommend all my listeners to go and check you out and give you a follow the way you communicate the way you present all the information that you do uh, and how simple it is to understand is is, is really refreshing and something that other people could use as a template going forward um, I wish you the very best in, in work and I hope that you continue working and that uh, you're safe and well I appreciate your time thank you so much and it's great to talk to you and get your insights on everything I follow your page for like a while already and I always have so much fun with your with your videos and with your stories I'm always have a great laugh yeah. so um thank you very much for inviting me to be here today really you're very welcome that was the conversation i had with fernanda the girl in hospitality during the week in regards to the hospitality sector and all things COVID. looking back on the week the three headlines that stuck out for me were the government restrictions on level five and their incorporation of Neffet and lack of communication. The going missing of fungi and the possibility that maybe fungi is more than one bottlenose dolphin. And of course, Pascal Donahue and Michael McGrath's first budget together for 2021 and the amount of money they were going to spend. I'd recommend you go and follow the girl in hospitality on Instagram and listen back in next, next week where we'll review whatever is going to happen in the next seven days. Find me on Acast or wherever you find your normal podcasts. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Bye-bye.